Hello. Hello. I'm Mark. And I'm Joe. And this is Finish Big. With mm. poor John McGann. Well, we are listing our way through all the big Finnish releases. But not for the very first time. In order, which does mean that sometimes we do these extra releases, which are probably for completists only. <laughs> I still get about 200 views, you know, <laughs> on the YouTube. Uh, so, following our... Can I just say um, something very quickly to you? Mm-hmm. That following on from our Fly Me to the Moon spectacular release... I've had two friends come at me now saying I'm desperate to listen to this. Do you have a copy of Fly Me to the Moon? We're doing good work for Big Finish here. <laughs> well, yeah. Except I'm borrowing so. it to them. Yeah. They're not, make... not, they're not well, paying for it. it's not for sale, so that's all right. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. It's not purchasable anywhere. It shouldn't be for sale, no. is what it is. No. Sorry, you were saying. Anyway, we're not talking about that this time. Yeah. So following on from our... Paul McGann season two. Oh yeah, recent spectacular reviews. We are doing some Paul McGann themed Big Finish talks back. Is this the last of these now? Under talks back, yes, and then they go on to in conversation with. But that's way in the future. That's isn't way. It? Yeah, they. I mean, I don't think. I mean, as I say, completest only. Do you think these people aren't... bought these? Or oh, no, because if they well, had, they would have at the time. They would have done more, wouldn't they? Anyway, I'll, I'll just say what we're talking about and okay. we'll go into it. <laughs> Always jumping ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so the two releases we're talking about today are Big Finish Talks Back, the Eighth Doctor Authors, and Big Finish Talks Back, Paul McGann. A conversation with the Eighth Doctor. <laughs> With, oh my god! With special guest <laughs> India Fisher. These were both released in 2002. Uh, yeah. 2002. The new series came back 2005. We're like, you know, we're almost there, aren't we? Mm, almost. But I, I mean, you would think, like, yeah, did people buy these at the time? But I think they probably would have because this well, is before Big Finish were doing all those CD extras, all those other extra interviews. Yeah. There wasn't the podcast. There was probably the Big Finish magazine, which just started to come around. Do you know what that? And that was the only chance you got for behind-the-scenes stuff. So, I mean, I probably wouldn't pay, like, you know, £12 for well, an interview. Uh, second hand on eBay. Oh, OK. You didn't get this at the time. Oh, and also just to say that <clears> the Paul McGann release was also released as a DVD. So you could watch him talk as well as listen. Yeah, it was filmed in some grotty hotel. Hotel in Bristol, yeah. yeah. Very strange. Where Gary Russell looks young and cute as a button. Not quite as cute as a button as he looks in The Famous Five, <laughs> but even so. Okay, well let's talk about the first release then. The Eighth Doctor Authors. Yes. In Conversation. By far the most interesting of the two, I think. So this features, let me remember, see if I can remember them all. Okay. Mark Gatiss. Yep. Rob Shearman. Yep. Paul Cornell. Yep. Caroline Simcox. Yep. Nicholas Briggs. Yep. Justin Richards. Yep. And Alan Barnes. So yes. they all wrote, <clears throat> uh, so we've got Invaders of Mars, Chimes of Midnight, Seasons, Seasons of Fear, yeah. Embrace the Darkness, Time of the Daleks, and Neverland. Yes. So like we were saying last time, that was the current Doctor Who, the Eighth Doctor Adventures. So these were the writers that were forging the way and creating these new 
stories and this story arc with Charlie Pollard they actually forward. get asked that question by Gary Russell you know these authors and they all turn around and say yes there was a, definitely a frisson about writing new in inverted commas Doctor Who which is what they were doing so according to the CD blurb the beginning of 2002 saw Big Finish took hang on let me say that oh, again no that's what the, it says the beginning of 2006 yeah, okay, hang on, that's just not me reading it no, weird, is it's it? Okay. terrible grammar. Word for word, I'm going to say this. The beginning of 2002 saw Big Finish took their biggest gamble with their Doctor Who range to date. Six plagues all closely linked with an arc telling the story of the Eighth Doctor's discovery and subsequent attempts at concealment that his travelling companion, Charlie Pollard, should be dead. And how the fact that she was alive was causing terrible chaos within the web of time. Here, the authors of this arc discuss how it was all planned out and the way that their own contributions to the story came together. Yeah, it's actually a really interesting idea, this, in bringing together all these different voices, because each of those writers has got a style, a unique style, and they're all contradictory to each other. So being asked like an overall question about, you know, what did you think of Paul McGann? What did you think about Ryan for this new Doctor Who? How did you approach your scripts? You get lots of sort of different and varied answers. And sometimes they sort of come at each other as well, which I really like. And Mark Gatiss, you know, I mean, he's been listening to these stories in some depth. He's, he knows all the he plots does, yeah. and everything about everything. He seems to know the most about... <clears throat> he particularly liked Neverland and was very th- complimentary about I that. I think they all love Neverland, though, don't they? Well, when Gary Russell says Alan Barnes wrote Neverland, they all went, no, I wrote that, no, I wrote <laughs> yes. that. So uh, I think Neverland's yeah. quite popular amongst the writers. Mm. Yeah. It's basically, you know, on the Blu-rays where they do the writer's room and they all sit in a pub and have a chat. It's with very a, like that, with yeah. With some lovely... Uh, pub um what's it called oh what's it called tracking shots around the pub as they sit down it's basically that it's basically the big finished version of that the writer's room they sit around and they're having a chat but it but it's not like those are about their careers those round the table they talk about the season don't they but this is more about you know you're doing hot new doctor who what's your take on it yeah and they talk about yeah what it's like to write for the Eighth Doctor, the limitations that are put on them. You know, so that, like we said, you know, in Invaders from Mars, where there's too many p- parts and all these different voices doubling up. Gary obviously, Gary Russell is that, there saying they? that, and then Mark Gates is like, well, that's what you do in radio. No, that's goes, how it is. He goes, it's an industry standard, darling. Yeah. <laughs> because Gary uh, Russell goes, I hate doubling up. Don't I, Mark? (laughs) (laughs) We get to hear Gary Russell being a bitch in person. Yeah, and obviously Nicholas Briggs is there. Yeah, he's got some interesting... Do you know what he says, right? Because he says one of the most interesting things they talk about is how you set things on audio and how you sort of put the listener in the scene without having too much expository dialogue. And Briggs goes, well, that's why the Daleks are so perfect, because they're always stating the bleeding obvious. And so there's an excuse for... But actually... I think Rob Shimon proves in Jubilee and things like that, you can have Daleks say more interesting things than that. Just because he can only have them stating the obvious, that doesn't mean that that's what they should always do. Mm. I mean, I don't want to go into a, a Briggs bashing already, because <laughs> it's going to happen. Do. But the thing that stood out with me in this oh. is at the end, when Gary Russell asked them all, where do you want to see this Doctor go? Because it's, it's there's no limitations, because this is going forward. There's nothing to... 
uh, you know, to stop it. There's what no continuity. And they all have really interesting, like, we want to maybe get <clears throat> darker or, you know, you can do these other things or expand this or, or do this. And Nicholas Briggs is the only one that was like, no, we should just sort of just keep it standard. It's it's not the the going forward of the characters. Of the story. It's just the the way the story's told, the narrative structure that he would want to mix up. But he wants he to wouldn't tell traditional want to, adventures. He wants to tell traditional Doctor Who stories, not <laughs> to pushing the boundary, not doing much, just mix it up in terms of the narrative structure. That's what he finds interesting. I think and that just tells you what's all when he's taken over in Big he Finish. He doesn't write like, another eighth Doctor story until not, yeah, he's taken over. He has over. no interest in developing any of the characters, basically. Uh, yeah, interestingly, when Briggs and Barnes sculpt those four seasons for the eighth doctor and lucy miller they do some really experimental stuff in there oh, i don't know how much nick briggs has to do with that especially in that last season but that that, that stood out to me a lot well there's a really funny moment as well where because gary russell's got like rules that he likes to impose mm. so he says you know i don't want vast vistas and uh, over elaborate and i don't want like, short scenes too many short scenes with like less than three lines of dialogue he goes because the second the listeners in that scene and then you cut away from it they haven't even settled into the scene yet you know and he goes you know like i think some of the most interesting audio dramas have small scenes like chimes of midnight and things like that you know and briggs don't like that at all and he's going well i don't really like rules he goes i feel like you can write your way around all these problems you know if you're smart enough to do it um I think you can tell that Briggs and Russell have a closer relationship than any other people because he's the only one that will really stand up to mm. him. But even though it's about the authors, actually you get a lot from Gary Russell in this because he's obviously interviewing, yeah. like you say, all of those different things. <clears throat> and it just shows how strong a pair of hands he was in those early stories. You know, and, and I, I, I think miss it tells that. in the quality. It tells in the quality, in the quality and yeah. I miss that of the Gary Russell quality nowadays. It's that old that actually, story. Actually, it is those rules. And he had those things where, yeah, like you say, you have to have the, the characters say the name so you know what's going on. And, you know... Yeah. Whereas, I mean... He I said, what is it? An Mark Gatiss said that Gary Russell pointed out, <clears throat> you can't have an established set of characters in the scene. And then just because, like, Turlow has stopped contributing to the scene he's got to say something you've got to have something because the listener needs the listener's like well where's he gone yeah it's those audio drama rules that Gary Russell really sticks to which really makes them effective whereas just an example that I've just come into my head later on that if anyone's heard Countermeasures the very first series the very first episode of the very first series Okay, and it's a brilliant series and it's a great story, but there's a pre-title bit in this, and it's like about a minute and a half. No, it's longer. It's about four or five minutes. I think it's some aliens coming through a wormhole. Something, someone's been attacked. It's just noise. There's nothing to set where it is, what is happening. It's just a load of noise, and then it goes into the titles, and then the adventure starts, and it's brilliant from then on. I got so frustrated. What is the point? Do you remember? I said, "Turn it off." I don't know what's going on. And that's an example of something which I think under Gary Russell, if he he would have that would have come up, and he would have said, "Hang on, what is going on here?" Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Did you ever hear the? um, Did you ever hear the Peter Grimway story? 
Or that he was a total arsehole as a director, you know, and he'd mm. go around with his fingers out like that, pretending to be the camera, and he was horrible <laughs> to the actors and said, yeah. just get on there and say your bloody lines, you know, I'm not mm. mucking around. And he was a great director, and he directed four fantastic stories. Mm. And um, it's like the Ian Levine comment about it. He goes, look, he might have been a bastard and not very nice to be around, but he created great Doctor Who. Well, I'm not kind of lump Gary Russell and Peter Grimwood in the same, but I think Gary Russell made some enemies... Mm. But he put together a hundred pretty damn strong main range adventures. And it's after he chips out, well, I think there's no real direction for the main range anymore. That's when it really suffers. Mm. Yeah. Well, and Gary... his his voice is really heard here. I was like, yeah, you can tell there is somebody who's very passionate about this. And he is kind of, he is creating his rules for how this works. But he does say as well to Briggs, if somebody can tell me of a way to break these rules that isn't detrimental to the story overall, go ahead. Yeah, I think Gary Russell has it right. Um, can I just say, so they're all asked about their individual stories. And so just say here's a bit of trivia I gleam from each person, okay? So Mark Gatiss basically says, look, I was really lucky. I went first. So all I had to shoehorn in was a mention of Shakespeare not being remembered and I could just tell the story I wanted to tell. So he was happy as Larry because he got to do his own sort of standalone. Rob Shearman, who doesn't mention at all about what the terrible time he had writing Chimes of Midnight, not when he's in this esteemed company anyway, um, he, they clearly everyone's got a lot of respect for that script. They're all sort of... They all really like that yeah. one, yes. Um, and he says that he basically, his premise was if you have a character who isn't supposed to exist, how do you get that premise across within, like, a mystery Doctor Who story? And that's how he started his script. So, you know, it was always... The focus was always Charlie and the art. But he also said about having the smaller cast where, oh, you don't want to kill off a great character. That's why they kept coming back to life and using the same characters because you didn't want to kill off a great character or a great actor in contrast to Invaders from Mars, you know? Um, Paul Cornell and Caroline Simcox, they really Um, don't talk too much about They don't. They're the quietest, aren't they? Yeah, but they do talk about the doctor. They say that, you know, Paul McGann's got a very distinctive voice and she says she's not a fan. So she only, she read the comics that Alan Barnes wrote. She watched the TV movie and she listened to Storm Warning. And that's where she got sort of Paul, uh, Paul McGann's voice from. And to be fair, they write brilliantly for the Eighth Doctor, the pair of them. Well, yeah, I mean... I think she might have done a lot more of the historical stuff in Seasons of Fear. That seems where her forte is. But no, they're quite quiet in this, aren't they? Nicholas Briggs keeps mentioning about the fact that he's doing the music and all these other things. <laughs> and like, he's, he's, he's the arrogant one in the room. <laughs> yeah, um, he is. He's just not funny. And it's unearned arrogance oh, after cringe. the script for Embrace the Dark and Sigal Mesa. He don't really mention that story very much. He talks about the stuff he contributed to Neverland more than that. <laughs> um, oh, and sort of his direction of Time of the Daleks as well. Mm. He talks about mm. that. Um, Justin Richards talks about writing he'd just written the burning which is where he took the eighth doctor in a completely different direction darker moodier more mysterious and amnesiac and he said he really had to try and put himself back into the mindset of the old eighth doctor who's and he says in his mind chronologically this takes place before the eighth doctor books Mm, yes me too although i don't count the books in my chronology well i'll do 
<laughs> I love the books. Uh, but he said, you know, he did struggle with that a little bit. And then there's so much conversation about Neverland. Everybody's talking about Neverland, about how, like, it was necessary to write a big finale, and we've never had that before, because Menu in Hell wasn't that, was it? Um, and Alan Barnes is very... I found him very... I thought say meek. Well, then what's the word when you don't have a big ego? Um, humble. <laughs> humble. What? What are you laughing? Uh, yeah, humble. That's the word. I mean, he might have a big ego. I don't know about that. Go and look at that feature where he's in the dress. <laughs> so whenever you say Alan Bars, I still like Dr. Max where he's in that dress. You spot it now, that one picture in drag that you did with the Dalek no, plunger. He's, he's wearing the outfit that. Um, Julius Swallow, oh, yeah. in case of fatal death. That's what it is. <laughs> very funny. But he, no, he's very humble about it. And he actually says as well, he goes, the trouble is, is we don't do a read-through on these things. Mm. And the reason why it's so long, Neverland, and was never supposed to be 270 minutes, is because they never did a proper read-through, mm. they didn't know how long it was going to be with all the sound effects and things like that. They said the beginning bit, where the Matrix is going, I can't remember... Mm. In the read-through, that was a minute and a half when they when him and Gary Russell read that. And in the audio, it's six minutes. Six minutes? Because it's got Bloody all hell. the sound effects and the elongations mm. and all of that going on. Um, so it, it was a, the proper example of studio stretch mm. when the actors do it. And do you know what they said as well? I found it so interesting because they're talking about um, how you can actually speed up a performance... Like, oh yes, the speed of the in terms of the actual but not um, change the tone, so they don't yeah. start. Can like, they don't go again? higher pitch, no. Yeah, so they said, well, why don't you just put Neverland through the blender, speed everyone up by half, <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you know you would have had it. And so I really found all that really interesting. Mm. But this was a good release. There's I more. There's more. It's not just like obviously you use the inside story a lot for your gossip and your tidbits, <gasps> but my tits. <laughs> your tidbits. <laughs> Go on. Um, but you do get more information. It's not just things like that that they've said before. Though, yeah, there were some yeah. original observations in here and things that you wouldn't I necessarily feel like Gary hear Russell anywhere else. Thought about some probing questions. Yeah, I mean they're selling it on CD. There better be some probing questions. <laughs> <laughs> but but they all like oh and that I love the bit where they're all talking about India Fisher and they're basically mm. saying like the first season. They played it a bit safe with Charlie. And then as India Fisher was sort of acting out those different stories in that first season, they realised just what mm. she could do. And they just, you know, went. Nick Brick goes, Jesus Christ, has she paid us all to say all this? Because they're being so complimentary about it. Mm. But basically, and then um, Mark Gator said he was just so moved in Neverland when she had that sequence about, you know, I'm not supposed to be here, Doctor. I've got to face up to that. And I love you. Oh, yeah, they have a conversation about that as well when the Doctor says, I love you, for the very first time. Mm. Yeah, it was... It, it was, was like if you if you like this early big finish, and especially these Eighth Doctor adventures, you will get something out of this. What it is it? It has a bit more depth than those 
see the extras that you yeah, get that's what nowadays. You what do it get isn't more. Is people sitting around going, "Oh, I love no working with that actor." No, no, it's a I, I love discussion. having Toby's lunches. No, no, none which of is that. All they say these oh, days. Oh, and I first watched Doctor Who, when I'm like, yeah. I don't care. No, no, no. <laughs> no. This is about the nuts and bolts of yeah. of writing audio drama, specifically yes. audio drama, talking about the actors, talking about the characters, and talking about the structure of the season and the stories themselves. And mm. I don't think you can ask for much more. Actually, no. I think. Think this is worth the money it is well it's out of print now and you can't get it so good <laughs> luck everybody <laughs> get to good eBay luck, my dears <laughs> good luck my dears right let's go on to the next one so Paul McGann in conversation with the 8th Doctor himself on CD and DVD Paul McGann's in conversation with the 8th Doctor <laughs> don't you mean Gary Russell in conversation <laughs> no, with I mean... Paul McGann hang on what's it called again Big Finish talks back. Yeah. Paul McGann in conversation with the Eighth Doctor. That's what it says. Paul McGann. About big title. the Eighth Doctor? No. It's. Hang on. Everyone. Well, it's not Paul McGann having a conversation with his character. No, hang on. It says on the front Big Finish talks back. Paul McGann. Underneath, there's a little line under the big Paul McGann. It says, in conversation with the Eighth Doctor. God's sakes. Yeah, do you get it? It's not. It's not. Paul oh, McGann. I see. I see. Oh, so it's Paul McGann as a as a main. Line. Oh, sorry. A conversation with the eighth. Doctor. Oh, see, context is key. I can't see with special guest India Fisher. Right. So this is an hour of Gary Russell grilling Paul McGann <laughs> in a hotel room. Paul McGann. <laughs> now look, if it was Paul uh, Gary Russell grilling Paul McGann, I might have perked up a bit. You know. Now, you didn't find this particularly interesting. Oh, that was so boring. But you've got to remember, again, this is probably the first big interview Paul McGann's done. He wasn't doing conventions. There wasn't any other stuff out there with him on. Maybe he'd done, like, the old print interview. But this is really the first time he's sitting down talking about... OK, yeah, he talks about his life and stuff, which is OK. But he does also obviously talk about the Doctor Who stuff and just Doctor Who in general, about the TV movie, about fame as the Eighth Doctor... <laughs> Uh, how it's changed his life and then they go into the audios as well do you, know what, I think, do you know what I think the trouble is is I think this is um, after the TV movie was a flop obviously and I still think he feels a bit of an ego knock well, wait, and, he's, and he's sort of taken the audios as a consolation prize like he wants to explore this doctor a bit more and I think he probably took a bit of encouraging and we know for a fact that he wasn't comfortable with the sort of publicity side of it, not like yeah. he is now. And I think somewhere along the line, he just learned to love doing these audios. Like, it's regular paid work, isn't it? And he's an actor that's always working, but this is like an extra sort of side earner. I mean, he didn't do conventions for a long time. The first public signing he did was the greatest, so it would have been a little bit... Because I, right. I went to that, that was a big thing that he was his first proper appearance and then i think he did like a one convention for the 40th but then i i don't think i don't remember him doing stuff until he was in night of the doctor and then and the 50th and convention then it, then it and up. then you can't i mean yeah. we saw him recently oh, you know my God. he's well, absolutely anything and he's almost contrast i mean he's almost up there with colin baker everything and everything he was playing those people at that convention like i mean they were divvying out the money weren't they 
That girl that was hanging off his oh, arm. Oh, God, don't talk to me about that girl. I'll get him and try to kiss him. Fortunately, oh, we can remain anonymous and just say that girl. That but girl. Jesus Christ, I think oh, they were married by the end of the convention. He loves it, though. He loves talking to the fans. Yeah, and he's really yeah, into yeah. it now. But this is... Well, in... we spoke to him and we said, we're talking about your early releases on Finish Big. Yeah. And he went, oh, Sharda. Yeah. And we were like, no, still warning. I think I gave him a bit of a look when he said Sharda. I was like... <laughs> You remember Sharda? <laughs> about all the stories that you remember it's doing. It's quite early, though. You remember Sharda? He was saying that was in his first year, and I didn't want to correct him. He goes, he goes. <laughs> we've done 300 of these now. And I said to him, well, are you going to the studio? And he went, no. He goes, my son, who's a producer now, he goes off to the studio. I say, have a good day at work, son. I'll be in the cupboard doing my <laughs> big finished recordings. Yeah. He was charming as hell. And he loves it. Very different to how he is. The only comparison I really have is the In Conversations, and that's with Colin Baker and with Tom Baker. Mm. And they're both such big personalities and deliver their life stories, you know, in such an engaging way. Here, he just sounds a little shy but and a yeah, bit Yeah, he bored. was at this time. I think he was. And if if this was done at the end now, of doing... Yeah. Well, no, if this was done at the end of... Um, Recording that season two where he was grumpy and he'd had a really long week in Bristol. I think he was recording. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised they got him to do this at all. But no, I don't. I think yeah, nowadays it would be completely different. And he is always a bit shyer and a bit quieter compared to yeah, Sylvester McCoy. I mean, he's not going to be playing the spoons on your tits anytime soon, is he? Like that girl in front of like. I can't believe it. I saw the DVD of this. Yeah. Yeah. And then I saw him in person. He ain't changed a bit. No, it's been 20 fucking years and he looks younger. I've met him, met him a few times. He's always absolutely brilliant. He, he's, he knows what he's doing. He gets his sonic screwdriver out for oh, the can photos. I just say, can I just say, I went in to have my picture with him, right? And I said, and I wore my Daphne Ashbrook t-shirt. Yeah. What does it say, that t-shirt? I'm on the board of trustees. <laughs> I'm on the board of trustees. Anyway, I said, look who I brought with me. He went, oh my God. And he pointed the sonic <laughs> screwdriver right at her face and turned it on. It was the best picture. Yeah, but th- so this is a very much more reserved one we're getting in this. Yeah. And it goes through his life. And it is interesting about with his yeah, brothers and with, he's done with Dan and... and I and Alien and all that kind of stuff. And he's very matter of fact about the business. It's like, well, it either works or it doesn't, especially talking about the TV movie. But you know what it is, right? I'll make a comparison. It's like a really interesting book with dry as dust prose. So <laughs> yeah. what he's saying is interesting, but the way it's delivered mm. is so boring. Well, my favourite bit is towards the end... I'm talking as if he had a gun to his head and he was forced to talk. Yeah, probably was. <laughs> Not literally. <laughs> um, <laughs> Gary, um, put your gun away. He's obviously just finished doing season two, and I don't know how it works. If Obviously, he must have signed up and done Zagreus or doing Zagreus. I feel like... And that's a question. I wonder how far in advance... You know, people like Paul McGann, do they sign him up and say, right, three years? Or do they sign him up per release or say, right, we can do a block of four next year? I I think it was very... No, because they say to him at the end of this... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's my favourite bit where Gary Russell obviously tries to get him on camera to say... On recording! He was like, so you're up for doing more, are you? And he's like... He looks. He doesn't really say yes straight away. He looks at Indian Fisher and goes, well, they're fun, aren't they? And then India's like, well... I, I can only do it if he does it, sort of thing. I'm a bit useless without oh, him. Wait, wait, wait. Well, then, we so India Fisher comes in towards India the Fisher. end. Well, it's shocking. To I'll tell you what, right? You and I have talked about uh, Paul McGann and India Fisher in these audios, yeah? And their chemistry fucking sizzles. It, it's sparkling, their chemistry. 
they're sitting next to each other in this hotel room like they're bitter enemies. I think it's just been a long week. It's very... They're, they're a bit tentative around each other. They're not really making any jokes. Well, they must have only met a couple of times. Yeah, but they can put it on in the, in the stories. Well, they're actors. Paul McGann is very professional. You ask him to be the doctor, he's light and chirpy and happy and everything. But Paul McGann, I think, the, is a very private person when he's not... Yeah. You know, so he professionally he will just do that. But I think I have that interview stuff. I think he is very uncomfortable with it. I have a theory. Yeah, and my theory is that the experience, certainly from Zagreus onwards, and I know this for a fact that Paul McGann was not in a great place. He wasn't enjoying the scripts, and he made some people's lives very uncomfortable within the studios. And India Fisher was very close to those people. I don't think India Fisher thinks a lot of the experience of working with Paul McGann. Because if you listen to her on interviews, she talks with such enthusiasm about working with Colin Baker later on. Mm. And she never once like, really does it. She goes, yeah, working with Paul, it's fun, you know. Whereas she goes, I love working with Colin. Yeah, this is early on, this is before that. Oh, I don't Surely know. I don't... Early... It's all guesswork. You know it's mm. all guesswork. I but... think he probably was hard, Paul McGann was hard work in the studio. And we, you've said before, you know, he was in a mood and he had all these... But then... Then you've got to think, he comes in, they're like, right, we've got one day, you've got to record all your lines for Time of the Daleks all in one day. So you've got to, you would be in a mood, wouldn't you? Well, the funniest thing is, Nick Briggs goes, in series one, when they're doing Minuet in Hell, he's so excited because he got all these long paragraphs. He goes, what is it? Uh, Paul McGann said, oh, all the TV work I do, it's like scripts by committee and I get terrible dialogue. Mm. Look at all this dialogue I've got. Anyway, series two, he gives him all this dialogue and Embrace the Darkness and, and apparently there, and he's like, I mean, I've got to say all these bloody <laughs> yeah. lines. And he got in a right mood about how many lines he had. So yeah, I think he can be controlled. But yeah. it's like the Peter Grimwade effect again. Mm. Like, maybe he is hard work, but it's look that. at the result. Like we yeah. said, Paul McGann was astonishing yeah. in those and second yeah, seasons. This is a very, this is a snapshot of very different early Paul McGann than you get now, definitely. Um, but he is pretty. So it is worth uh, it is worth giving it a listen. I'll say, listen to the authors. Don't listen yeah, to out of Paul these McGann two. talk yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. I th- and I think compared to the the other one we did, the Maggie Stables and Lisa Bowman one, mm. I mean, that was just a delight. I mean, this was together. most interesting for me. I wasn't too bothered about his life and career and getting the role of the Eighth Doctor and all that. You've heard that a lot in other interviews nowadays and there's nothing particularly new. It was more just that big finish stuff that I was interested in, him talking about, just because you don't get that. Is he on any of the... Oh, he is on the CD extras for the... Yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite a bit. He always yeah. says it, doesn't he? My name is Paul John McGann. <laughs> <laughs> they must get so fed up of saying that. Oh, Hello, no. I'm Colin Baker. I play I, the Doctor. I play old sexy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they must get so old bored of saying that every <laughs> single time. I mean, that must be the worst part for Big Three. You've had all that weekend of recording the Phoenix, and that's like, right, sit down. You've got to do the extras now. Talk oh, about the lunch. Talk about the... And after, if you, especially if you're a regular, what more can you say every time? None of them are gonna be like, Oh, the food was terrible, it's been really hard work this weekend, oh I haven't really liked anybody. Everything's great, everything's we've had a wonderful time, I'd love to keep doing these. Like what else like 
just stop those CD extras and charge everyone like five pound less, please. There's <laughs> there's three people though. I don't care. Three people that I like listening to and those extras even later on mm. because I think they give you context to the stories that you're listening to, and it isn't just a loving. Lisa Bauman, oh, when she's always. directing the Companion Chronicles, always. she will talk about the production of the story, Lisa. and I like that. John Dorney, because he's such a smart bloke, and he will always tell you where he got his story ideas from and what was trying to come across. And, and I ain't just saying this because I know him, Robert Valentine, who he always talks about his scripts. He doesn't ever really talk about the actors. So th- those are the three I really, really like. But yeah, on the whole, it is just, you know... Lisa Greenwood going, well, I had a lovely time on this story and the lunch <laughs> was amazing. I don't know, I love Lisa Greenwood. No, I do, yeah, I just, I never listen to the extras now at all. I got very bored very early on when they first started. Well, we're going to have to, to get some trivia in the later stories. At the moment, it's a bit, um, the triggering of boredness is, you know, when they do that little, that, that signature. The moment I hear that, I'm like triggered and switch it off straight away. If I hear that noise, you're triggered by that. I'm like, I'm going to fall asleep any minute now. That's it. If you're annoying me again, I'm going to get that noise ready and just play it. I do think it's sad they didn't do more of these, though. No, no, no. There's a market for them, really. Yeah, but I do think we could have learned some more about like like I would love for them to have done Divergent Universe ones to learn about what happened yeah, from there. what you're saying they probably couldn't be able to broadcast it anyway with no. all the behind the scenes stuff they'd all be arguing with each there other there might be some stuff on the big finished magazines around that time I have to look that up all I'm going to say is if they were going to do uh, a talks back on a single season, I'm glad they did it on the second season of Paul McGann. Like, I know we said that maybe it's less than the sum of its parts, but I think it's the most fondly remembered mm. season of Paul McGann. And this, it just adds so much detail to it. So, yeah, I, I was really impressed. Yeah, and Caroline Simcox looks very happy on the front. I didn't know what she looked like before I saw this cover. <laughs> Did she look happy? Oh, yeah. She's, <laughs> She's smiling. smiling right in the middle. Caroline Simcox goes on to write The Council of Nicaea. I, yeah, I didn't realise that. Yeah. yeah. She so, doesn't write Kedroria. Who writes that? No, that's story? Lloyd Rose. Who's that? She wrote uh, Camera Obscura and City oh, of Dead in it. the Eighth yeah. Doctor range. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's a good script as well. Well, <laughs> this, well, this is that time, you know, where they did have no bloody women writing for Big Fish. Who did I get Caroline Simcox mixed up with the other day? Caroline Seymour. Munro? No. <laughs> Caroline Seymour, yeah. Seymour, yeah. From Survivors. <laughs> she could have wrote Seasons of Fear as well. Yeah, well, she didn't. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah, I don't really know what else to that's say. That's about it, really, I, yeah. I, it's I, a quick little tick for our getting through all the releases really they're not essentials no but i would say if you've enjoyed our sort of nostalgia walk through that second season this is a tasty bonus <laughs> all right i just skip that tedious interview with paul mcgag it's very boring okay um well shall i say where we're going next yes please you did mention last time we are off excellus my name is grievon so we're doing the excellus Quad. Is it quadrilogy? Well, excuse me. So that's Excellus Dawns, Excellus Rising, Excellus Decays, and Beneath Summerfield and the Plague Herds of Excellus. Ah, did spring from nuclear war. <laughs> oh, I came start. on the bus. So we will see you next time for that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we promise you we'll be extremely positive about all those Excellus <laughs> stories. <laughs> hey, can I just say, because we aren't really positive about that, where are we going after that? 
After that, we are doing Beneath Summerfield Series 3. Oh, yes. Which is The Great Shop in the Galaxy, The Great Eye Monsters, Dance of the Dead, technically The Blade Curves okay. of Excellus, okay. and The Mirror Effect. Well, don't start talking about that now, because you always skip ahead. We're you skipping ahead a few releases now. What's going on here? You're just skipping ahead. Okay, anyway, well... Well, don't forget, everybody. And we never forget to... Finish, finish. B- B-